Blog Talk Radio. Come on, Jay. Get the music going. Oh, well. I guess he's not with us tonight. Evidently. It'll kick in about the time we start talking about something for them. But anyway, welcome to Peace State Pandemonium for Thursday, May 9th, 2019. This is Michael Norris, and as always, I am joined by Jerry Oates and Bobby Simmons. How are you guys doing this evening? Uh, I think I'm doing better than you guys are doing tonight. <laughs> well, I have a chest cold, and uh, I I'm, I'm, don't feel real great, but I'm doing well. I'm blessed, I'm alive, and uh, uh, I'm doing okay. Bobby got weak from out there in Las Vegas chasing all those showgirls and trying to trying to track down Marie Osmond. You know, you know that's right. <laughs> Man, I'm in depression. She's giving up her show out there. Oh really? Yeah, they uh, they say the uh, the local buzz out there is hurting. Donnie's not getting along, so they're going to end their run in August. They've been the number one show on the strip out there for like the last seven eight years and. I told you. <laughs> Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Peach State Pandemonium. Thank you, Don Pardo, and hi out there, everybody. Welcome to Jeopardy. <laughs> well, you must have come on the air early or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, it was just, uh, I mean, maybe. Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling. Shut up. Shut up. Uh, Mike, you're not drinking NyQuil. Are you drinking NyQuil? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Hey, uh, Greg Brown uh, called me this week and said Snake Brown passed away. Is that that right? Uh, Yes, he did. We have confirmation, sir. We finally have confirmation. Uh, Hang on one second here. I printed it today. Uh, Mr. Emmett Snake Brown, age 66, of Buchanan, passed away on Monday, April 29, 2019. He was born on February 20, 1953, in Rome, to the late Emmett R. Brown and the late Troy Lee Peyton Brown. Survivors include one sister and her husband, Nancy and Gary Duke of Villarica, two nephews and their wives, Ryan Duke and Tommy Duke, Three great nieces, uh, one great nephew, other relatives and friends. He was buried on Thursday, May 2nd at Edwards Cemetery. And uh, I guess that's up around Buchanan because that's where the funeral home that was in charge. But uh, someone sent me the obituary, and that's the age and everything fits, so I'm sure that was him. Had you seen him over the years? No, had not. Nobody knew where he was. Yeah, Greg said he hadn't seen him anywhere or heard anything. 
he was a nice guy, man. He he was real nice guy, quiet guy, you know, just and so funny. Not even trying to be funny. He was funny. I know he's funny. We were he, on uh, Atlanta TV, and somebody grabbed his arm and just twisted his arm. <laughs> he said, he hollered. He said, referee. He said, tell this man I may need to use this later this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the snake. He wasn't. He was kind of loose. He. Uh, oh, a, the last time I'm I saw him was Atlanta TV on a, on a, I think a Thursday night when it was they were doing it. They, you know, they switched it all around. And Greg and uh, Snake were working with the Warriors. I've told this story, and Snake told him his back was hurting before you went out there. And, and anyhow, make a long story short. Animal coming in and started smacking him around. I mean, it was it was awful. It was horrible. Of all people, Snake Brown, you go smack around. That's like smacking a three year old boy around. Yeah. <laughs> Snake wouldn't hurt a fly, you know. And everybody's like, and root root put a stop to it, you know. It was, and I'm thinking, you know, this guy's been around up here for us forever, and and you come in here and want to do that to him, you know. It it was totally uncalled for. Totally uncalled for. First time I saw him work, he reminded me of a guy that I watched a million times along in the 70s. And, and Bobby, you're probably not familiar with him because I don't know that he ever passed in Georgia. Um, but, Jerry, I'm sure you crossed paths with him in the Carolinas or, or in uh, Oklahoma. Poncho Rosario, Gypsy Joe Rosario. I know the name. You remember? He was here. You remember him, Jerry? Yeah. Yeah, he was well, here in Did Georgia. he come through here? Yeah. He had yeah. a ton of names. In the Carolinas, he worked as, as Poncho Valdez. And then uh, in most places, he worked as Gypsy Joe Rosario. But then at one point back in the 60s, he worked as Poncho Rosario. His name was Isaac Rosario was his real name. And then uh, in the 60s, when Pfeffer was working with uh, Tony Santos up in New England, he was the infamous Bruno Sam Nartino. Can you imagine, you know, expecting to go see Bruno San Martino and out walks this guy with this frizzy hair and his big eagle tattoo on his chest and, and missing his front teeth. <clears throat> but the way the way Snake worked reminded me so much. He was, you know, real herky jerky like like Rosario was. But uh, and he's one of those guys that, that just dropped off the face of the earth. Nobody uh, the last Anybody that I know of knew of him. Uh, Tom Burke told me years ago that the last he heard, he was in Boston driving a cab. And uh, he always had a, a shrunken head. He carried a shrunken head with him all the time. Yeah. It wasn't part of the gimmick. Did... He just had one. Yeah. Well, we had a... He might have shrunk that head. <laughs> when when uh, George Scott came in here to book... Uh, he fell in love with Snake. He just like he liked him personally. You know, he, you know, like I say, he wasn't a great worker, but he just liked Snake personally. And Snake worked in a welding shop over in Carrollton. And the cage that we used, it was the one that Dick Steinborn had built. When we were working for Ann, and I, and I never quite understood Dick's philosophy, but he had this cage built. It was it was ten feet tall, but he built it to sit on the ground. And it sat outside the ring. You know, he had an 18-foot ring, so it was like 
It was like 20-foot sections, and it, it pieced together to corners, but it set on the ground. Now, if you're sitting on the front row, of course, you're looking through a cage uh, into the ring. But if you're in the balcony, you can tell this cage is not as tall as the top rope is, which I never quite understood the, the thinking behind it. But anyway. Well, his math wasn't all that hot. Well, uh, evidently. But <laughs> when after Ann run business, of course, we got all the equipment. I took it when it had it, had it cut down two feet. It was a chain-link fence, and I fixed it where you could set it up on the ring apron and you could, you know, chain it off in the corners to the poles, and at least then it was 10 feet tall sitting on the ring. It looked more like something that might hold somebody in. But George Scott didn't like it. He didn't like nothing about it. He wanted it changed. He wanted it bigger. He wanted it this and that. So he gets with Snake. Well, they, they, did not, they did not consult me. They didn't do anything. Him and George got this big deal worked out. So we got this big cage match scheduled for the Omni in Atlanta, and I don't remember who it was, but we haven't heard from Snake. We don't know nothing about it. So the night of the match, of Snake shows up, and he goes, I got your cage. It's over on the other end propped up against the wall. So I said, well, all right, I'll, I'll go look at it. So I walked over there. He had built this cage, and it was it was in four sections, and it was probably 15 to 20 feet tall. I mean, it was huge but it was made out of two-inch steel piping. Each section weighed, I don't know, three, 400 pounds. Jeez. And it wasn't chain-link fence. It was wire. I mean, it was an impressive-looking thing, but the only way it would have ever worked would be like Vince that does it, where you put it together and you suspend it from the ceiling and you lower it down. There was no, you know, I went over and I told George, I said, look, there's no way you're going to walk that thing through a section of people it's too tall to control. I said, if it tilts over, it's going to fall and kill people. So George walked over and looked at it, and he goes, we can't use this. And I said, you, 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 hey, hello. <laughs> so, so we went back and used it. And, you know, the, it was never used, and I don't even know what happened to it. I mean, I never moved it off that wall it was propped up against. And, I, I mean, it may have, when they imploded the Omni, it may have went down with it, but... I mean, this it was it was the most thing, spectacular looking thing you'd ever seen. It was just it was overthought. Well, there's no way if it was that tall, the the poles would have held it. Well, it fell over. It fell over. Yeah, sure, it would have. Well, so imagine two people or three people or four people trying to walk that a piece of that up the aisle to the they ring. Done it. You no, you couldn't have. And and I I told him I said it's going to take one guy slipping. Or that thing sliding over, and I said, "You got a problem." So, it was never used. Uh, I don't even know if it was well, ever how, paid for or not. How did the snake get in the business? Do you know that? Do not know. Do not know. First time I met him was at a Saturday morning TV. He was he was he came in to, you know, be one of the job guys on Saturday morning TV. And everybody, I mean, you know, you met him, you couldn't help but love the guy. But well, everybody liked him. So you they know, started booking no him on some, you know, Saturday night shows. Yeah, he was no trouble. That's that's sad. That's sad. From what was reported, and and Bobby wasn't able to confirm it, I wasn't either. Supposedly, he was driving somewhere and suffered a heart attack. That's what Greg told me he heard. 
Where's Buchanan? It's north of Carrollton, up near Calapusa. Okay. Uh, Rock Martin, that part of the state up there. Okay. I know I've gone through it, I'm sure. Like going from, like going up toward Rome. Yeah, you would have probably gotten close to it going up that way. That's where uh, Buchanan is where Doug Summers was living. He's buried in Buchanan. Really? Yes. I did not know that. Yeah. I thought he lived in Douglas, Douglasville or... He, well, no, I say he, I say he lived there. He could have been living in Douglas, but the funeral, the the memorial service was at a funeral home in Buchanan, and that's where he's buried at up there. Let me know. Didn't know that. I found myself back up there. I can't even remember why I was up there, and don't know how in the world I remembered how to get to the cemetery. But somebody told me they had put his his headstone up, and. Uh, his, his wife put up a real nice headstone. It's got a pair of wrestling boots on it. Really, it's a neat-looking little headstone. Uh, she did him right. Charlie well, Mills, was from Minnesota. Charlie Minnesota. Do you know where he was from originally? He was originally What's from that? Minnesota, wasn't he? He's from wasn't Minnesota, uh, yeah. Doug originally from Minnesota? Yes. That's yeah. my impression, yeah. Yes. Charlie Smith's wife, Louise, says if he goes first, she's going to get him a nice memorial stone. <clears throat> it's going to be three or four carats, and she's going to wear it on her left finger. <laughs> <laughs> we need to remember Miss Louise. She had a little outpatient procedure done today, but she's at home, and she's doing well. That's good. Yeah, while we're at it, a uh, couple of our, our – Probably our most loyal listeners, um, Pat and Billy Brooks, who uh, live out in Texas. Billy's uh, having some health issues, so just want to shout out to them, let them know we're thinking about them. And uh, anybody else that's listening that uh, know Pat and Billy, or even if you don't, uh, you just remember them in your thoughts and prayers because uh, health issues are, are nothing to play with this, this day and age. <coughs> no, it's not. It is not. If you're not sick when you when you start dealing with them, you're definitely sick when you get through dealing with them. Yes, you are. Right. Speaking of which, while we're throwing out thoughts and prayers, my big brother on the other end of the phone here, he's uh, he's had one bad knee for a while. Now he's he's having to deal with two. Uh, he, he keeps challenging me to a to a foot race, uh, Jerry, and I believe I can take him at this point. I believe you can too, right now. <laughs> actually, the, actually, the, the the right one has been much better the last two days. Well, good. I was diagnosed with arthritis in my left knee back in October, and I've been dealing with it pretty good. And then uh, I did a, I went and took my first week of uh, I was gonna I was gonna try to drive a school bus part time, and I went and took the course. You have to go to class five days. And the last day of the course, we had to do an emergency evacuation. If you had to evacuate a school bus, you have to go out the back door. And uh, you have to drop about a foot and a half. And I overcompensated not to land on the arthritis knee, and I twisted the right one. And it's just been giving me fits. But it is better now. It is a lot better than it was. So I'm, 
I think I'm going to survive. Well, well they can give I, you a fit, man. Yeah, I know they can. I thought about you. I was walking around, hobbling around. I, I actually used Mike's <laughs> walker for a day or two just to keep my balance because they were hurting so bad. And I thought about you, and I thought, God, that Jerry had both of them done at one time. I said, how in the world? You know, Jim Powell had both his done at one time. And he's 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 about back to getting there, but he he still has some problems. But but uh, yeah, he he had both of them done at one time. Well, that's if, if it's got to be done to me, that's the only way to do it because you can. You, I mean, you're not gonna be down any longer for two than you are one. Yeah. And then a lot of people I know a guy here in Savannah that had one done. He said he'll never have the other one done. Pain. Well, that's I've heard that too. But, you know, how much can you stand? Yep. Hmm. Well, the inner kid came out in me two weeks ago when we took our little trip. And uh, I absolutely had a ball uh, uh, on our little excursion because I actually went to the home. I went to Metropolis, Illinois, which is the home of the World's largest Superman statue. This thing's like three stories or four stories tall. And uh, they got a Superman museum there. And, of course, we were there at night. We didn't get to go through the museum, but we were able to stop and take some pictures and see the see the statue. And then the next morning we got up and went to Chester, Illinois. And this was, re- this was really, really my going back to my childhood. My favorite cartoon as a kid was Popeye. And uh, well, Chester, Illinois, the guy that invented Popeye's name was Samuel Chester. And this is where he was from. And in Chester, Illinois, they have about 18 statues of all the characters from the cartoon. Now, the problem is when you get there, they're not all in a park or, or you have to take this map they give you and go find them. Like one of them was in the parking lot of a Dollar General store. One of them was in the parking lot at the hospital. One of them was in the parking lot at a nursing home. But once we figured out how to read the map, we found all of them. But it was really, uh, they had pictures drawn on walls of Popeye and olive oil. And it was just, it was. I had a ball. I don't, I don't know about Scrappy and Randy and Gene, but for me, it was, uh, uh, I mean, I could, it brought back a lot of memories when I'd seen some of these characters that I'd forgotten about. Uh, kids today don't know who Popeye is. No, they don't. And it just ain't everywhere you can find a statue of Alice the Goon on a street corner. <laughs> and Jeep. <laughs> but uh and, and and the funny thing was, in doing my research, I found a little city in Arkansas named Alma, Arkansas that had a statue of Popeye. And I couldn't figure out why. So on the way home we jumped off the interstate. It's right by the interstate. We jumped off and went over and found it. And we found out that Alma, Arkansas, at one time was the top spinach-producing city in the world. They had a, a canning factory, and and uh, that's how they came to have the statue of Popeye. And they actually had a nicer statue in that little town in Arkansas. All the ones up in, in Illinois are granite. This is a big, nice bronze statue in the middle of a fountain in a park, which was really okay. a neat little thing. But we just, uh, yeah, we, you know, that's the kind of things I look for, to do. And, you know, it don't cost you any money, and it's just, you know, most people have never done it. So, but we had a good time. 
That's true. That's one thing I, I enjoyed doing whenever I was with the circus. I would get to a town or whenever I'd get caught up and, and had a day or two to myself, I would look around and find just unusual things that were, you know, within driving distance of me and, and that were either historical or, or even if they weren't historical, they, they interest me in any kind of way. Um, you know, I would do that. And, and there's so much in this country that's that to do that people just don't think about. You know, who, who would think about going to see a statue of Popeye? <laughs> well, you know, and then all the national parks that are around. We went to, uh, when we left Illinois, we went to, uh, of course, Scrappy and uh, Gene had never seen Mount Rushmore. So we drove across South Dakota and let them see Mount Rushmore. Me and Randy never got out of the car. You know, we had seen it. We let them go up and make some pictures and see it. And when we left there, we went. Did, did you ever see the the movie Jerry Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Yes. Remember the mountain they all were the the big mountain they went to that the uh, spaceship supposedly was coming down or whatever happened there. That's Devil's Tower National Monument. Well, who went out in the middle of Wyoming and found it? I mean, it was the most no kid. Uh, it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I mean, it's, it's really five thousand feet tall and it's just standing right in the middle of a uh, there's no mountains around it. It's just, you know, the good Lord put it there because ain't no rhyme or reason for it to be there. Just popped up, huh? Just there. So we went and seen it, and then we uh, we left there, and we went up to uh, to Montana and saw Custer, where the Custer's last stand was. And, uh, you know, there again, just something not everybody thinks about. I was just plotting a trip and found it, and... Uh, we looked around up there and looked at some of the monuments and the markers and then uh, came back down into Yellowstone National Park. I got to see live buffalo walking up the side of the road. Uh, saw Old Faithful from a distance. <laughs> but we saw, well, Yeah, that's the best way to see it. Went through a geyser. They got a big <laughs> field of geysers there. We was able to park and watch them and it just, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, we we came out of there and we we were going to go down, kind of back the way we came and hook up to the interstate. And I realized looking at the map, we were only 15 miles from Idaho. And I told him I said, let's just go over to Idaho. At least we can say we've been there. So we went over to Idaho and picked up the interstate and came back down to Salt Lake City. And uh, we took some pictures of the. I wanted to see the big Mormon Tabernacle there in downtown Salt Lake City. Just to, I'd heard so much about it, I wanted to see it. And uh, we rode around that and uh, came south out of there. And uh, Moondog Main's younger brother, Sean, me and him had become very, very good friends over the last 10, 12 years. And he unexpectedly passed away here about a month and a half ago of a, of a massive stroke, 54 years old. And uh, I found out where he was buried, and I went to the cemetery and found his grave. And, Paid my respects, and I'm glad I went because Lonnie, the Moon Dogs, two graves over. So, oh, really? Uh, yep, yep. They're buried right there, a little town called Sandy, Utah, just out of Salt Lake City. And uh, went by there, and is that where he was from? Yes, they were from Utah. I know, I knew that. I know yep. knew where he was from. Yep. And uh, then we left there and went through Zion National Park, uh, a little south of there, just riding through, and then wound up in Las Vegas for a week. So. We did we did a we did an Oklahoma trip. We did fifty three hundred miles in thirteen days. 
Yeah, just like working for us. Yep. <laughs> but we had a we had an absolute ball. So Well I sure was glad to see home Saturday morning. Did you come straight back? I mean We stopped in uh we stopped in Amarillo. Uh Scrappy there's a place out there called the Cadillac Ranch. Uh, that Scrappy had heard about that he wanted to see. So we stopped in Amarillo and spent the night. And we got up the next morning and went and found it. And all the Cadillac Ranch is, this guy's got got a ranch over there, and he's got 10 or 11 old Cadillacs buried from about the windshield down. The back end stand up in the air. And there's about 12 of them there. And that's why it's called the Cadillac Ranch. But we left there and, other than stopping in Alma, Arkansas, to find that statue, we came straight home. Well, you don't think you'll ever get across Texas? No, no. Well, Texas is not too bad going the way we go because we come across the top end. You know, we go through Amarillo and straight over into Oklahoma toward Oklahoma City. So we're hitting only hitting the top part of it. Last year, when we went to Dallas and went down to to San Antonio. And then we left there and went to Tombstone, Arizona. I didn't think I was ever going to get out of Texas. Because there's awful. nothing down there. I mean, there's nothing. And it's just flat and dark and nothing. And the GPS kept telling us to get off on some of those back roads. And I kept telling them, nope, stay on this interstate. I said, because they don't tell them what's out there. If we break down, we'll be no stuck. Time. No telling. How long did you work for Fritz in Dallas, Jerry? I know it wasn't long. Three months. Was it that long? What were the trips like there? Not bad. Uh, Fort Worth was on Monday. Dallas was Tuesday. And uh, Wednesday I'd leave and go to uh, San Antonio. And uh, spend the night there. Then Thursday night was uh, Corpus. Then drive into Houston. And then Houston on Friday. And then uh, drive back to Dallas on Friday night. That was a pretty good haul. Yeah. And then we'd walk around. They'd have a spot share. And sometimes we'd go way on down into Texas, like uh, Brownsville and uh with the other town down in there. That's a haul or Saturday night. When you, when you come back. That way? I think so, yeah. We, I, never, yeah. I never worked in Galveston either. I don't, I don't know why. I, I guess Bosch, that was in his town, but right I was there, they never ran it. But Houston was, man, what a town. Good grief. So you probably uh, made more that night than you did the rest of the week. It was good money, and he was a good payoff man. He ran uh, Houston like uh, they ran St. Louis. It was more or less. They, of course, they used the uh, Dallas talent, but you know he would bring in like Wahoo. He'd bring in Mascaris, and you know he'd bring in different guys. He, he, he was a nice man, a great payoff guy. Well, that's all I knew he ran. Yeah. And that was enough. I mean, I mean, that Houston drew, I'm telling you. 
we sent a guy out there. They needed a guy to work with a champion, and uh, they wanted a they wanted a black guy, and we sent one out there. And uh, uh, when I turned one an hour Broadway with Harley, and the boss gave him three grand plus his airfare. Well, he's paid now. That joker wasn't scared to pay you. He was not scared to pay you. Hmm. Well, you know, when the guys got paid, they worked harder, and they, and they, they, they. they I don't know. Just, I work for some. I mean, you know, I'm like everybody else. I work for some people that they give you ten or fifteen dollars, and they they thought they'd paid you a lot of money. I'll never forget my first night in Mobile. The guy handed me an envelope, but it's about an inch thick. And I thought, look at this. What is this here? And uh, I opened it up, and there was 35 $1 bills in it. <laughs> it was thick, though, wasn't it? Yep, it was thick. <laughs> but, you know, a guy like Bosch, he took care of that town, you know. He, he, uh, he nursed it because again, Houston is a big city, but well, he was so well known as far as because of the civic stuff that he got. He was a lot like Paul Jones was here in Atlanta. He was he knew everybody, and that was, he was crazy. involved with with all kind of stuff. And and he had been around, you know. He you know he was from originally from Long Island, New York. Bosch was really, um, yeah. And then you know, he, of course, he he wrestled forever. But he just he wrestled in Texas and fell in love with with that area, especially Houston. And uh, he was working besides wrestling. He was working in the office. And I'm trying to think who the, the promoter was there um, ahead of him. Was it Moore Siegel? That sounds right. Yeah, I think it was Moore Siegel. Which you know, you know, and then you know he would he would do. Uh, you know, ring announcing and stuff like that, but he, he continued to wrestle into the seventies. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a full time thing. He'd come out. You know, he'd have like a. Of course, everybody knew after he bought Siegel out that he was the promoter there and everything. But uh, he'd get a run in with a manager or something, and he'd work a match against, uh, you know, Gary Hart or somebody like that. But uh, uh, supposedly he was a he was a salty old dude in his day in the ring. I, I, there was a guy that refereed for him, and I thought I'd never meet the guy. I, I had seen him in the magazines forever, and I go in the dressing room there, and I'm looking at this guy. He's got white hair, you know, white hair, and he's putting on a referee shirt. I know exactly who you're talking about. And I'm looking at him. I'm looking at him, and somebody said, hey, Danny. It was Danny McShane. Yep. Yep. I'm thinking Good grief. He was a nice guy. I have become I have become friends with uh Danny's uh nephew, who's also name is his name is Danny, uh, through Facebook and, and we've shared stories back and forth. But you know who uh who McShane's brother in law was, don't you? Brother in laws. He had three. And three brothers were he was married to their sister. Who's that? The Lewins. Mark, Don, and Ted were his brother-in-laws. You're kidding. brothers-in-law. Nope. 
He's the one that helped uh, Ted was the oldest. He helped Ted get in the business when Ted was still a teenager, and then then Don got in, and then uh, Mark got in. Yeah, he was. I, I, I didn't know that too. You know, Ted wasn't in it very long. He was a uh, he was an artist, and he uh, he he only wrestled a handful of years, and then but Don. Don wrestled forever, but he never, he settled in, well, they were from Buffalo, and he settled up there with Martinez and uh, worked under <coughs> Hood as the execution and worked up there until the mid-70s at least. Don did, so he had a good, you know, 25 years or so in the in the business. No kidding. He never course, came down this way, huh? Not, not after he was, well, he and Marky may have, have worked. Uh, I know they worked in the Midwest some. They worked out in California some, but I don't think uh, once Don settled in, now he may have had a, a regular job doing something else. But once he settled in up there in, in Buffalo, he pretty much he worked for uh, Pedro Martinez and, and would do shots in uh, Toronto for uh, the Tunnies, and then uh, every once in a while worked for the Sheik, but always under a mask is, is the executioner. But. Uh, and of course, Marky's the one that, that traveled around and, and worked pretty much everywhere. Who is he now? In the business the longest. Um, did, did he show up out of Cauliflower Alley this year, Bobby? Who, Mark? Mark Lewin, yeah. No. Man, he's he's been coming around on some things lately. He um, he was living in Singapore. He was married to some sort of married into the royal family over there. And lived in Singapore for years. I can believe that. But I think he's back stateside. He's back stateside now. He was he's different, man. Shaped. He was he was a strange Completely character. He shaved his head, and uh, he 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 looks like he's in great shape. Of course, his he would go from from being real cut and muscular to to putting on a ton of weight, and <coughs> he was like Don Fargo. He changed all the time, but. The pictures I've seen of him from the last year or two, other than being bald headed and and having a mustache that he dyes black, um, he looked pretty much the same. Yeah, he did. He got around. He got around. <coughs> well, he was a major star in Australia. And, uh,. You know, he um he and Curtis High Kale were, were best buds. Yeah. Can you imagine can you imagine the amount of weed those two put <laughs> Oh <up>? good grief. <laughs> Curtis that Curtis man, I'm telling you. He he was Curtis or something else. He was a he was a hell to like him, you know, but he, he was <laughs> he was in another world. He's the only guy I've ever seen go to Japan and have one bag when he got on the plane. <laughs> one bag, <laughs> and it was it was, it was a round bag. But I tell you what, he could take his clothes out of that bag and they look like they come from the cleaners. What a wrinkle and nothing! I don't know how he did it. Over there for a month with one bag. Yeah, he was, a, he was in a 
he was in a Three Stooges movie. Oh, come on. Yeah, he was. He was after the, of course, it was after the original three, after Curly was dead and after Simp was dead, and they had Joe Dorita. You know, they had a little comeback where they were making feature-length movies in the 60s. And I want to say it's called Round, Round the World in a Daze is the one he's in. And uh, he plays this sumo wrestler, uh, wrestling Curly Joe Dorita. <laughs> Curtis King, he was in Georgia, wasn't he? I don't know if he was ever. I know he was towards the end. Uh, when Did he come here, Bobby? He was. I don't. I don't remember him. I, I don't think I ever met. I've read about him and heard about him, but I don't think I ever met him. That's the only place. That, that's Japan was the only place I was ever around him. But I thought he he hit Georgia one time. Uh, he spent a lot of time in Florida, I know. But yeah, he was in Florida a lot. Yeah. He was he was a trip. Had the loudest voice. Didn't need a microphone when he did his his promo because he talks so loud. Yeah, he could talk. He go off on a tangent talking about some weird stuff going up on the mountain and and catching the the waka waka bird and all this stuff. <laughs> <He never laughs> knew, knew what he was talking about, but he, he, he keep your attention. That's where Lillian got his stuff from, and Sullivan got his stuff from both of them. Yep, yep, yep. That eating the beetle nut and all that stuff, that was all that Kevin Sullivan did. And, and you know, talking about the, the master and all that stuff, that was all, all from Curtis Ikea. Yeah, he, Sullivan, uh, Sullivan was in Vegas this year. He was there, and uh, he looks good. Yeah, he always looked good. He's uh seems to be... Uh, Seems to be doing well living in Boston. Baston. In Boston? Oh, he's back up there. In, in... <coughs> Do what, Jerry? I thought he was in the Keys. I think he's living in Boston. Last I heard, he was he was somewhere that you didn't associate with him. He was in Seattle or somewhere, or Portland well, he, or somewhere he, that he's I... He's working. He's booking for some guy that's promoting around here. Oh, really? Yeah, uh... Uh, Ronnie Gossett, not the Ronnie P. Gossett that sold sold Dick Goulas' <laughs> so territory to a lawyer, but there's a guy named Ron Gossett. <laughs> I met met him. He was in uh, he was in Vegas. He he came up and introduced himself. Uh, but Kevin's booking for him. He's running uh, his next show is Greenville, South Carolina, uh, Memorial Day weekend. He's uh, he's he supposedly is paying the guys pretty decent money, and he brings some names in or to you know kind of supplement his talent. So uh, I, somebody told me when he runs, he he generally draws four or five hundred people. So which he's is a heck of a house this day and time. Yeah, 
Well, what's this thing that Cody Rhodes is involved in? What's, what's that about? Well, that well, AEW, I haven't. Supposedly Ross is working for him. Yeah, so Ross announced. Ross announced that uh, at uh, Cauliflower Alley that he signed a three-year deal to do their pay-per-views. Uh, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars son is the money man and he's hired uh, uh Cody Rhodes is involved I think uh I think Dustin his brother's coming on with them uh Billy Gunn Chris Jericho's, in, Chris Jericho, Jericho's involved with him uh, a lot of the guys that have left Vince uh, are going to work for this guy and he he supposedly is going to run uh 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 pay-per-views and do some some house shows, but uh, he's got a lot of money. Now, whether that translates into business competition or not, I don't know. There was also a lot of talk this year out in Vegas about about Billy Corrigan, the guy that's uh, uh, that bought the NWA, what's left of it, and uh, he is evidently uh, very, very slowly piecing together uh, something to make a little bit of a comeback with that. I, of course, don't know. You hear all these talks and all these people talking about stuff, but uh, 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 don't know. A couple of things I learned in Las Vegas this year. Uh, they honored Mark Henry with uh, with the uh, with, uh, with Mazurki Award. Uh, I was very, very impressed with Mark Henry. I didn't think I would be, but I was. Uh, I'm not sure he deserved the top award they give out there, but I was impressed with his <coughs> his honesty and his his uh, the speech that he made and uh, the things he said. Uh, first time I ever met David Schultz, he was there. Uh, he he said something that I believed to be true. Since that incident went down on TV where he got fired for slapping that guy, uh, I've said all along he did what they asked him to do, and then he took the took the abuse for it. But he said that night he he said uh, he said I did what I was told to do, and he said we'll leave it at that. So uh, that was that was that was fairly decent. Uh, I can also confirm something else too. All the bad stories you have ever heard about Dory Funk Jr.'s wife. All the bad things that have ever been said that you might say, well, I've never met her. I don't know if that's true or not. They are absolutely, unequivocally true. She is the most horrible person I have ever met in my life. She is the she is his worst enemy. And, and, and he, poor Dory is just, he just follows her around like a little whip puppy, and uh, I mean, what's her, her, her angle? I don't know. She's she's trying to protect him, I guess. Jerry, I had a picture of of a match I refereed forty five years ago, I guess, with him and Jack Briscoe when they were doing the the doing the loop after Jack had won the title, and I. I have I've, I've, anybody that's ever asked me what is my favorite match I ever refereed. I probably did those guys. I probably refereed those guys ten times. 
<laughs> and almost every time it was an hour Broadway. And these guys would go an hour and never even call a spot. They just knew what each other was doing. Uh, but in this particular case, whether it was the end of a Broadway or Jack had went over, whatever the case, they're shaking hands with each other, and I'm standing between them. So I took this picture with me out to Vegas, and I wanted Dory to sign it for me. And uh, we went upstairs. We we opened up at, at 9 o'clock or, or 10 o'clock, and it was about two minutes after 10. <clears throat> and I asked Gene Bennett if he would walk the picture back there for me because I couldn't leave the T-shirts. And Gene walked it back there, and he told Dory, he said, this is Bobby Simmons. He's sitting up front. He can't get back here. He said he'd come thank you later. Would you please sign this for me? This is something from a long time ago. And Dory said, sure. And he started to sign the picture for me, and she stopped him. And she says, no, it's all about the money. If he wants that picture signed, he's going to have to buy a T-shirt or a, or something else we got here on the table. Then he'll get one autograph. And Gene, and Gene come back up there and told me, and I says, it's not that important to me. I've had to look her up. <clears throat> Friday, Wednesday night after the banquet, there was, of course, people from Japan there, from the press over there. You know, Dory's still a big deal over there, which he should be. Uh, and, and honest to goodness, I thought he went to sleep two or three times making his speech. I mean, Dory's, you know, he's really slowed down. We're, we're, they all go over there, and, of course, Scrappy won the referee award this year, so all of them are over there. <clears throat> and all of these people are trying to get pictures. She was over there literally slapping cameras down, said, wait, wait, no, no, no more pictures, Japanese only. And Scrappy told her, Scrappy said, this is not your award ceremony. You need to get out of the way. I mean, it's just, she's she's horrible. And everybody I talked to said that nobody will do business with him because of her. So... It's really sad. I didn't know she ever laced, she, she, laced, she laced them up at one time or something, huh? I, who knows? I don't I don't think so. No, I, I know Charlie, she didn't. I'm just saying. Listen, Charlie Smith had a picture of Dory, and I want to say it was Nick Bockwinkle, or it could have been Buddy Colt or somebody. I don't know. But it was Paul Jones, Sam Muchnick, and Smitty's in the ring, standing between them. And it was like a Picture made just before a match. You know how they do sometimes. Right. Well, Smitty wanted to, she seen it, and she wanted to get a, she told Smitty, she said, can I get a copy of it? And Smitty said, I'll mail it to you. You just make whatever you want and send this back to me. He mailed her the picture, and she politely told Smitty that was Dory's picture now, and he wasn't getting it back. Are you kidding me? Listen, I also heard. And I'm pretty good authority that uh, a certain individual we know sold sold Dory a ring. And uh, I'm talking about somebody that uh, that uh, well, I'll just I heard it was I heard it was Joe Hamilton. I heard Jody sold him a ring, and they agreed on a price, and they paid half up front, and Jody shipped the ring down there. And when he got down there, she told him, "said That's all you get, and we're not sending you no more." I heard that. I heard, I heard, I heard yeah, that. I so, so anyway, that's you know. I mean, but yeah, every she's she's it's horrible. It is horrible. That's a shame. And y'all know me. I, I do my best not to talk about people, but that's just a fact. That's just 
you know, that's just well, the, the truth. Is truth you yeah, know? it, it mean, is, and that's uh, it's really it's, it's really sad. But I was told, I was I was told by more than one person with Goldflower Alley that uh, they had to pay Dorian her way out there so they could get them to come. Uh, which they never do that, but they had to go into the benevolent fund to get them out there because they wanted to honor him. And God knows if anybody needs to be honored, it's Dorian Funk Jr. He told uh, his uh, with as much with as much prestige and elegance as anybody I know. Uh, and then, but I just I don't know. That picture you're talking about is Dory and Buddy Colt. With Smitty, Paul Jones, and Homer O'Dell. Homer O'Dell. Okay, I couldn't remember. I, I happen to have a copy of it. Yeah. And I didn't get it from Marty Funk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you didn't. Well. That's hideous, man. Well, she's... I never met the woman, but just from all of her, you know, it's like she's trying to make every dime she can off his name, and you know, he did that before he ever knew her, you know. And I don't, Jerry, know. somebody, and I can't remember who told me, might have been Scrappy, I can't remember. <clears throat> Y'all forgive me for coughing in your ear. Uh, uh, they said that when he runs, you know, he's got his school down there, right. He says she will not let the boys that he's training use the bathroom in their facility. She makes them go down the street to the gas station to use the bathroom. Well, I, I, I don't have any comment. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I don't know. Reef. That's that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. But I just, I was disappointed I didn't get my picture signed, but I wouldn't have went back there and asked again for nothing. That's, that's, of course, you know he'd have signed it. I mean, he. I know he would have. Of course he would have. I would have told him I'm not talking to you. I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of pictures signed. Uh, you know, if, if we'd have went around, you know, I'm really sad that I don't have more pictures than I do. But, you know, if you'd have went around with a camera in a dressing room 40 years ago, they'd have said you as a mark oh, and made fun of you, and you know. But uh, I've got a picture back here, and and I've got it one of my one of my albums back here. When uh, when your brother first came in here. I used to make fun of him, all these little 12 and 13-year-olds oohing and aahing over him and him back there signing autographs. And I used to aggravate him about it. And uh, I was in the ring announcing somewhere one night. I don't even remember where I was. And he comes out and he gets in the ring and he walks over to me. And his picture was on the back of the program that week or something. And he had tore the back of a program off and he signed it to my friend, Ted Oates. And he handed it to me. Well, of course, I cracked up. But I've still got that. That's been 50 years. I've still got that picture back there. I kept that all these years. Isn't that fun? I, mean, I just, you know. One of these days when we hook up, I've got a picture back here somewhere, and I'll have to find it, that you signed for my brother-in-law. He gave me, he gave me. I don't know if it was a program or what it was, but I remember seeing it. 
But uh, but I, I told I told him I said next time I see you, I said I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna have Jerry sign his name on something. Then we're gonna see how much has changed. But I don't know when you I don't know how long ago you signed it, but I've got it back here somewhere. And that's something. I know Klondike Bill told me when I first met him. He said, "You know what you need to do." He said, "You needed to get an eight by ten picture of every guy you ever meet in this business." Wouldn't that have been something? Oh, tell me about it. You just take it for granted, you know. Yes, you do. That you'll see them again or whatever. But how many cars were you on, Jerry? When Joe Lewis was a special referee, and didn't he have a picture made with him? And don't have a picture made with him, or Jersey Joe Walcott. Oh, Jersey Joe uh, Walcott. I think I think about that. I think about I I I think about that at least once a month. No. And call myself an idiot. Why don't you see there? there? Look. <laughs> no, I got one of them. Listen, look, I, I got, got one of them on a t shirt. I got a t shirt that'll top that. <laughs> oh, God. I'll wear it around the house at least twice a week. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I open that package and open that thing. I almost started crying. <laughs> <laughs> what a rib. That was almost as good as the t shirt. Bo James worked on that picture for two weeks. He told me, he said, I think I got job. it right. And he emailed he it to a, me. He did <laughs> the funny thing was he that. put Oates Brothers Jim on their shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're supposed to train them, I guess. I don't know. Guys, we're gonna go ahead and wind it up, Bobby. I, I know your throat's killing you, and Jerry, you got a <clears throat> you got a loved one you need to take care of. And, yes, uh, I do. I do. <clears throat> How's she doing, Jerry? She's doing good, Bobby. I was telling uh, Mike she's uh, <laughs> doing chemo this week, and uh, okay. she's feeling good, even though she's taking it. You know, felt like last few weeks. She said, "I feel like there's nothing wrong with me." Good. But she's she's tough. She's hanging in there. So we we know that she's been with you all these years. She's I heard that. She's either that, 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 that or she's <laughs> either that or she's retarded, and I don't that know. That toughened, toughened her up, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I know I know stuff. we won't be back on the note of being together. I know we won't be back till next month. But uh, on the twenty seventh day of this month. Uh, Mr. Charles F. Smith and his lovely bride Louise will have been married 64 years. That's a long so, time, isn't it? So I want to wish she deserves some hand. kind of medal. She, yes, she does, really. She told of me, I asked, her one t- I asked her one time, I said, why did you marry him? And she said, well, my mother and daddy like to go to the wrestling match. And she said, I thought I'd be able to get free or cheaper tickets. And I said, well, did you? She said, let's just put it this way. I wish I'd have paid for the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know she does? That's a classic answer. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate y'all asking about my, my beautiful wife. She's in our prayers, man, always. Absolutely. You keep that up, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. You got them. Absolutely. That's, that's, a, that's a given. Well, guys, I appreciate that very you, much. Uh, I don't know a... I don't know a sure date for for next month or, or 
what we got planned, but we'll get, get together and do something and get in some kind of trouble in a month from now. So, well, uh, I appreciate you guys as always. We'll get together again in a month and do this one more time. Good night, everybody. Sounds good, guys. Sounds great. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.